Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 19, the title for this sermon this evening is Trusting in Appearances. Trusting in Appearances. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled likewise with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood there is no remission. And it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Amen. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his own inspired word. Let us bow in a moment's prayer, and then we're going to consider these few scriptures that we've read together. Father, we thank thee once again for the time that we spent already this evening. We thank thee for the privilege it is to meet together in this fashion. We thank thee for the privilege of sharing once again and proclaiming the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for the gospel that it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Father, we thank thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for the shedding of his blood on Calvary's cross. And we thank thee that there he laid down his life for our sin. We pray, Lord, for any tonight in this place and in other places where this gospel will be preached. Any who are outside of Christ. Any who have never come to him in confession and repentance and in faith. We pray that tonight, Lord, give them that understanding of their need before thee. And draw them to thyself through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name, and we pray for his glory. Amen. It was the Roman poet Virgil who wrote, Trust not too much to appearances. And in the natural realm, and in a fallen world, we can relate to a statement just like that. Appearances, we know, can be deceptive. There are things which look harmless, and yet they can turn out to be very dangerous. There are things which seem to be perfect, and yet upon closer examination, they reveal their flaws. And perhaps worst of all, there are people who seem to be of good character, but they are those who sometimes can turn out not to be just as we had originally thought. They appear to be trustworthy, but as time passes, they have disappointed us, or perhaps from their perspective, maybe we have disappointed them. This can be the case right across society. It can be the case in the realm of entertainment. It can be the case in literature. It can be the case in business. 
in politics, even in royalty, indeed the list goes on and on. It seems that we simply cannot, or indeed we should not, trust in appearances, or as Virgil said, not trust in them too much. But although that may be the case on a human level, considering human relationships, whenever we lift our eyes to Christ, whenever we lift our eyes to God, we find one who is trustworthy in every sense. There are three appearances that we've read of in this short passage of Scripture tonight. I don't know whether you noticed them as we read through that passage, but we've read them this evening. There are appearances that we can trust in. We can trust in them implicitly. We can trust in them completely. We can trust in them eternally. We can trust in them absolutely. They are appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these three appearances taken together, they summarize the sacrificial work that he has completed, his ongoing ministry in heaven, and the consummation of all of these things, and his second coming, which the believer eagerly awaits. I wonder if you're eagerly awaiting his coming this evening. You're trusting in him, you're waiting for him. And yet tonight, primarily, I speak to those who are yet in an unbelieving condition. And I say if you're in that condition that these things are real things. Yes, they're spiritual, but they are factual. And whenever you understand who Christ is, you will understand why only he could carry out this sacrificial work. The writer to the Hebrews doesn't take these appearances in the chronological order that I have just described. I've mentioned his first coming, his current ministry, and his second coming. This passage mentions Christ's current ministry first. So let's take each of these appearances in the order that we find them in this text, in this passage of Scripture. Three appearances that we can trust in. First and foremost, see this first of all, he appears. As simple as that, he appears. Look at verse 24 of chapter 9. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He appears. This is something which is current. This is something which is ongoing. Notice that this verse speaks of things that are earthly and things that are heavenly. David Attenborough has said, an understanding of the natural world and what's in it is a source of not only a great curiosity, but great fulfillment. And if a man like David Attenborough, who believes in evolution rather than a sovereign God who created all, can find great fulfillment in the natural world alone, fascinating as it is, there is infinitely greater fulfillment in the understanding of the earthly types or pictures that God has provided in Scripture and throughout the ages for our good. What an infinitely greater study. It's wonderful, isn't it, to be able to study the natural world and the natural realm and to find interest in those things and to continue to discover more and more about the world that's all around us and the things that we can enjoy and experience regarding the creation. But friends, to be able to take the word of God, to be able to take the scriptures and to study these truths, to study these teachings and these principles and these types and pictures that God has given us is infinitely greater. 
These are things that God has revealed to man. This is the divine revelation. This is God speaking directly to man. This is what he wants us to know about himself and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in Hebrews we find a prime example of God presenting something earthly to point us to something heavenly. An earthly type or a picture if you like or a pattern that points us to the reality. Verse 24, for Christ has entered, not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Let's just break down that verse for a moment or two. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. What were those? What were the holy places made with hands? It's speaking of the tabernacle. The tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle was the place of worship for God's people Israel. It was a very important place. God had given very specific instructions as to how it was to be constructed. And as to how it was to be finished. And how it was to be set out. And how and when it was to be moved and transported. How it was to be used. How it was to operate. And who would have access to the various parts of it. And within it, because God's glory would be present within the Holy of Holies in that tabernacle. The reality of God's presence among his people. The people's sin had to be dealt with. They couldn't just walk in and out of his presence as they pleased, or without due thought and approach. They were coming before the sovereign God. They were coming before the Creator. They were coming before the glorious God of heaven. And in particular, on the Day of Atonement, sacrifice was to be made to cover the sins of the priests and the sins of the people. This was a holy place. We read here that it was made with hands. It was made under God's instruction, but it was made with hands. It was earthly. It was man-made in that sense, yet under God's direction. And then we read on about the figures of the true, which are the figures of the true. You see, the tabernacle was a picture, if you like. It was an earthly structure which represented heavenly things. In its construction and in the ceremonies that were carried out within it. Figures of the true. In other words, copies of the true. Copies of the real thing. What was the true in this verse? That is speaking of heavenly things. The tabernacle and its furnishings and its rituals pointed to and spoke of something real. Something true. Christ entered heaven itself after he died and rose again. There is reality in this. He entered into the very presence of God for us. And there's great assurance whenever we look at scriptures like this. A man. A perfect man. Appearing before God on man's behalf. On our behalf. You could never stand there on your own. You can never stand before God without an advocate, without one in your place who is perfect. You can never stand in any righteousness of your own because your righteousness is insufficient. Your prayers would never be heard. The work of an earthly priest could never bring the assurance that is to be found in the reality of these verses of Scripture. So many of the sacrifices that we read of 
through the Old Testament, through Exodus, through Leviticus, and other places. They were sacrifices that spoke of purity. Can I ask you tonight, are you aware of, or do you remember the extent of those sacrifices? Whenever we read of the history of them, the period of time that they were carried out for, so many animals, and the blood that was shed, and the blood that flowed to cover the sins of man, to cleanse the sanctuary, to cleanse the tabernacle itself, to cleanse the very priest, to cleanse the people. What did it all mean? What did it all point towards? Friends, God requires cleanliness. God requires purity. God requires holiness. God requires righteousness. And God has not seen. A standard is required. It is God's standard. That standard of righteousness. And you cannot meet it on your own. I cannot meet it on my own. I want to stress that holiness tonight. I want you to think about the holiness of God. His word declares it. The scriptures teach us very clearly about the absolute holiness of God. We read of Isaiah's call to the service of God in the sixth chapter of his prophecy. You know that Isaiah was a prophet. We read there of his experience in the presence of of the Lord. He had the revelation and the realization of the holiness of God. And how did he respond? Let me read it to you. Isaiah 6 and 5 Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. A prophet holy man as he would be regarded. <coughs> and this is how he responded in the presence of God. In the presence of God, he realized his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people all around him. He realized what he was before God. A sin, a sinner in the need of mercy and in the need of grace. And as you're confronted with this same God tonight, the same God, do you realize your condition before him? It's the same as Isaiah's was. You're in need of mercy. You're in need of grace. How could we ever come before him in and of ourselves? How could we ever come before him without an advocate, without someone who's absolutely righteous? We could never do it on our own. And there came a time when a perfect sacrifice was made. And it was a better sacrifice than all the sacrifices that we've been referring to already. Those sacrifices of the tabernacle and of the temple. And this perfect sacrifice would never need to be repeated. Christ himself, the Son of God, died on Calvary's cross. He bore our sins and his own body on that cross. He died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven. But into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now to appear, it's the Greek word emphanizo, it means to show or to report. It means to petition. It means to present charges from a legal aspect, to appear in that sense. Friends, what great assurance for the one who believes in him. 
Are you believing in him tonight? For those that have trusted Christ as Savior, he is there on our behalf. Christ appears before God for us. Get hold of the importance of that fact. For the believer, this is an appearance that we can trust in. Have you trusted in him? Are you able to trust in this appearance of Christ before God? Have you trusted in him as your Savior? The only Savior of sinner. Verse 25, nor that he should nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. You know that's stressing the importance of this once for all sacrifice for sins. It refers to those other sacrifices, it refers to those other priests. Those sacrifices have to be made often. Over and over again. Those sacrifices had to be made every year. There was repetition of them. It speaks of the blood of others here as well. Those animal sacrifices, those other sacrifices. And what the writer is saying is that if Christ's sacrifice was no better than those, then it would would have to be offered just like those time and time and time again. For them, in other words, if that were the case, must he, must Christ often have suffered? It would be necessary for him to be offered up time and time again. In fact, the writer states that this would have to have to happen since the foundation of the world. The writer is setting forth the logical point that repetition is not required. If Christ's sacrifice was only of similar value to the earthly pattern, then he would have needed to offer himself over and over again, starting right back at the beginning. Why? Because man has been sinning since the fall. As soon as the sacrifices of the Day of Atonement had been offered, the sins of the people were already accumulating all over again. A better sacrifice was required, and Christ made that sacrifice on Calvary's cross. It was perfect. It was once for all. He did it for me. He did it for you. And he appears in the presence of God. He appears. Now what was that perfect sacrifice? That brings us to the second appearance. We've thought about the fact that he appears. Now think about the fact that he appeared. Verse 26 of our text, But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But now. Those are wonderful words whenever we find them in Scripture. So often they mark a change, they mark a turning point, they mark a change that is for our good that we could never bring about ourselves. Look at the opening verses of chapter 10 of Hebrews. They state the position that the people of Israel were in whilst they were under the law. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. The very sacrifices that God instructed to be offered in that tabernacle could not take away sin. 
the priest was insufficient. He was insufficient morally. He was a sinful man. The sacrifices were insufficient. They were the sacrifices of animals. The blood was insufficient. It was the blood of those animals. These things pointed to something greater. They pointed to someone greater. A perfect sacrifice that was yet to come. Verse 26, But now once in the end of the world hath he, Christ, appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He appeared. The word is the Greek word phaneru. It means to reveal or to make known or to be made manifest. And this word has a wider meaning of not simply a visible appearance, but of the person being revealed in their true character. No falsehood. No deception. No ambiguity. No doubt. Friends, the Saviour was revealed. Christ himself, the Messiah. And we read in Colossians 2 and 9, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's who he is. It's not a wonderful verse. A verse that I could never expound in its fullness. My vocabulary is too limited to do so. All the fullness of the Godhead. All that God is revealed in bodily form. Christ Jesus, the perfect Son of God. What does it say about the sacrifice that he offered on your behalf and on mine? It says it was offered once. This was not something that would need to be repeated. Once in the end of the world, at the right time, at God's appointed time, Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said in chapter 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That's the person that we're talking about. That's the reason why he came. Once in the end of the world hath he. Consider his person, friends, the Son of God, the Eternal Son, not just a great teacher, not just a great leader, not just an ordinary man, this was the blessed Son of God. He appeared. That's his incarnation. We've thought about it in particular in recent weeks. He came to earth and took on human flesh, took on the form of man. God became man. What was the reason for it? It was to put away sin. That was the purpose. This is the reason why he came. As I said, we've just come through another Christmas period. Friends, don't ever lose this truth amongst the atmosphere of a period like that. Amongst the activities of a period like that. Amongst all the busyness. Don't even lose it among the songs and the carols, some of which contain this very truth. Don't stop at the manger. Don't stop at his birth. He came to put away sin. Your sin, my sin, sin that means we are guilty, sin that is against God, sin that brings death, sin that brings punishment, sin that requires judgment and that will be judged. How did he do it? By the sacrifice of himself. It was once, it was for all, it was perfect, it is complete. But do you believe? Do you believe in him and do you believe that his sacrifice is sufficient to save you? There is reality in these things. Do not miss it. The Old Testament believers looked forward to that sacrifice. 
New Testament believers, including those today, look back at that sacrifice. The sacrifice of Christ on Calvary is central to our faith. It is the dividing line. It is man's only hope. The famous hymn states that there's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands the old rugged cross. On that cross a battle is raging for the gain of man's soul or his loss. Christ was on that cross for you and I. He was there to take your sin. He was there to bear it, to offer up himself to God as a sacrifice for sin, to be your substitute, to take the punishment that you deserve, the judgment that is due to you as a sinner before God, and the wrath of God was poured out upon his Son in judgment. The earth shakes with the force of the conflict and the sun refuses to shine. For there hangs God's Son in the balance. And then through the darkness he cries, it is finished. The battle is over. The work has been completed. It is finished. There will be no more war. This does not need to be repeated. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. And friend, Jesus is more. It's done. It may never be repeated. But do you believe? Why does it matter? He appears in the presence of God for us. He appeared to put away sin. Thirdly and finally tonight, he shall appear. Verse 28. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Thomas Paine once said, But such is the irresistible nature of truth that all it asks and all it wants is the liberty of appearing. Truth will prevail. And the one who declared himself as the truth does not need to ask to appear. He will appear. He will appear in the perfect timing of God. It was the perfect timing of God that sent him at his first advent. And he will appear again at his second advent in the perfect timing of God. We've looked at what these words have meant as we've considered them tonight. Let's consider this one. Appear. It's the Greek word optomai. And it simply means this. To be seen. That's a word that doesn't need any further explanation. For whom shall he appear, friends? Unto them that look for him. And who are they? Them that believe. You see, faith is required here. This appearance is one that is awaited by those who trust in him. You'll not ignore him and disregard him and live as you please and then have your sins swept under the carpet. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Unto them that look for him shall he appear. The second thing. It's speaking of his second advent, his second coming. He's coming back. It is promised. It is assured. And then we read something which may seem to be a little strange at first glance. It says he shall appear the second time without sin. Now what does that mean? It's not referring to him never having had any sin. He is perfect. He has no sin. It simply means that he's not appearing to deal with sin this time. 
because he's already accomplished that work. At his first appearing, he came to carry out the work of redemption. He came to offer up the ultimate sacrifice to put away sin. But when he appears this second time, he's not coming to do that work. We've already seen clearly that it never needs to be repaired. He shall appear without sin unto salvation. In other words, what he has promised, he will perform. This is speaking of salvation in all of its fullness. Those that are trusting in him are waiting for that day when he will come back and take us to be with himself. The problem with sin having been settled long ago and the promise he made to us reaching fulfillment. You know one of the biggest problems with man today, even within the church, is that we often read the scriptures in abstract. In other words, we feel to recognize sometimes their reality their consequences, the fact that they demand a response. If you're here this evening, you need to understand the reality of the Word of God, and you need to respond to it. What are you going to do with this truth? Friend, listen, this is not abstract. This is not art. This is not just a thought or an idea. The theme of this entire epistle here that we've read from tonight is to show how Christ is greater than all that had gone before. And in chapters 9 and 10 in particular, how he is greater than the law and the sacrifices that have been made under the Old Testament. The writer stresses it repeatedly. Those sacrifices could never take away sin. I want you to think about this as we close this evening. Just a moment or two. For hundreds of years, those sacrifices were made time and time again. There's particular attention drawn to the Day of Atonement here, but many other sacrifices were made too, and not only once a year. Thousands upon thousands of sacrifices conducted as God himself had instructed for hundreds of years, for millions of people, and God says they were insufficient to see it. Now do you think your good living is good enough to give you access to God? To get you to heaven? Your own standards, your good works, your good lifestyle, your religion, God says clearly, no. These things are not and will never be sufficient. Your sin separates you from God. And only God can do anything to change that. But friends, he did do something to change it. And that's what this word is all about. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He died on that cross for you and I. He shed his precious blood that we might live. That sacrifice was perfect because he is perfect. The work is complete and it is for you to trust in him. It is for you to repent from your sin, to come to him, understanding and acknowledging that only he can save. And I'm asking, will you come to him tonight? Whatever's been holding you back before, will you come to him tonight? Will you ask for that forgiveness? And will you trust in him alone for salvation? For only he can save. The word of God is clear. Trust not too much to appearances. In a way, those are wise words in the context that Virgil used them. 
But in the context that we have considered this evening, friends, there are three appearances here that you can trust in. And you can trust in them implicitly, as I said at the start. You can trust in them absolutely. He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He appears in the presence of God as the advocate of every believer. He shall appear the second time for those who await his return. May God bless his word tonight. And if you don't know him as Savior, may you come to him tonight asking for that forgiveness, knowing that only he can give it, but he can give it, and he will give it.